This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Good morning and welcome to Old South Presbyterian Church. My name is Jordan Greer and I am so excited to be here with you this morning. Our second reading comes from Revelation 19, verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven, shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen. Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever heard the phrase, hope hurts? Or, or maybe a better way of phrasing this is, have you ever been disappointed? Have you ever had maybe high expectations for Christmas and then December 26th comes and, and there's a feeling of being let down or, or the feeling of, yeah, it was good, but now what? There's, there's disappointments that come in our lives when we, when we hope for certain things. And, and sometimes we have this excitement that builds when we're hopeful for something and it builds and it builds and it builds and then our plans fall through. Or maybe for you, it's been placing your hope in, in a new object, like, oh, I'm finally gonna get a new computer because mine's lagging. Or, you know, when I get this new job, then my life will be better. Or for some of us, it's, it's building a new house or, or moving to a new place for a change. And, and this gives us hope. But then sometimes this hope leads to disappointment. And I think all of us have been in this place of disappointment. 
And I think sometimes it comes so frequently that we don't realize it's even happening, even in small ways in our daily lives. So, for example, you drive through Dunkin', and they're out of your favorite order, and you're just disappointed, but you don't even realize it because it happens so frequently. <laughs> or you're online on Amazon, and you need to buy this gift for somebody, and it's out of stock, and there's another disappointment. And it gets to the point where it almost hurts to hope for something because disappointment seems to be around every corner. And I know for a lot of us, COVID-19 has led to a lot of disappointments and a lot of suffering. And, and this disappointment, it, it permeates even for this week, right? For Thanksgiving, when we're gonna be gathered around the table and there might be grief at that table, at that table. Because maybe we're not surrounded by our loved ones like normal, whether that's because of restrictions and spacing or maybe the loss of a loved one during COVID-19 and, and that's painful. And, and, and we're in this season where grief seems compounded. It's not just one thing. It's one thing on top of the other, on top of the other. And our disappointment and our suffering is so difficult and, and so heavy that it hurts to hope. It's, it hurts to hope. And in our text today, John's audience is also facing suffering and persecution and this temptation to place their hope in, in something that would give them a moment of relief, like us. And I imagine, like us, they, they have this temptation to put their hope in something that's immediate. And so maybe for them, it's not a new computer or a new car or, or a new career, but it's maybe if I just bow down to Caesar this one time, then maybe I won't be persecuted so much this week when I meet in my house church. Or maybe if I just sacrifice to this idol one time, even though I'm, I'm, I'm in love with Jesus and he is my Lord, but I just do it in action one time, then maybe the Romans won't persecute me for the next month. And so we're faced with temptation in the midst of suffering to waver our allegiance to Jesus. And last week we talked about chapter 18 where Babylon has been judged. And Babylon has been this symbol throughout the Old and the New Testament and especially in the book of Revelation has been symbolizing evil, oppression, economic power, political power that oppresses God's will and God's people. And finally, Babylon has been destroyed. The thing that causes our suffering and our anguish as people who are pledging allegiance to Jesus has come to an end. And we enter this scene in Revelation 19 where God's people are rejoicing and celebrating that God is the only one reigning on the throne. And, and we know that, that God has been on the throne for all of time. His sovereignty has never been questioned by God's people. But it's tricky because it seems invisible right now. It, it seems invisible. And so in verse 6, we see the, the loud voices in heaven saying, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. 
This isn't a new thing because when Jesus rose from the dead, he was reigning on the throne. The resurrected Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father and is seated at his hand, reigning. And so this sovereignty hasn't been questioned by God's people, but it has been invisible. And in this vision, there's coming this day when God's people will rejoice at the visible reign of Christ on earth. There's coming a day when Jesus' reign will be made visible on earth. And, and this is kind of a hard concept to grasp sometimes because we know that it's true and we know that he's coming. And so it's like it's already happening, but it's not yet here. And how do we think about this? And to give just a little bit of an example, my favorite Disney movie growing up was Lion King. And most of us know the story of Lion King where Mufasa is Simba's father. He's the king of the pride land and he dies. And Simba becomes the rightful king. He becomes the rightful heir to the throne. But his evil uncle Scar takes over the throne. Simba runs into the wilderness afraid because Scar lies to him. And so Simba is gone even though he's the king and Scar takes over the throne and he ends up ruining the kingdom. He, he, the, the lions are starving in the pride land. It's, the scene in the movie becomes dark, and they're starving, and they're suffering, and they're in agony. But at the perfect moment, Simba, the true king, returns and restores the kingdom, defeating Scar and reclaiming and making visible his reign that was already true in the wilderness when he seemed gone. He was still the king, but now it's being made visible in front of the other lions. And at the end of the movie, you see this rejoicing and this celebration. And that's the scene we have here in Revelation 19, this, this scene of rejoicing and celebration that God, Jesus, his reign is made visible as the only reign. Because right now we have competing lords, false lords, fake kings, Caesars, presidents that are, that are wanting our allegiance, but it remains steadfast in Jesus alone. And so God's people are filled with celebration at his reign. And in this coming vision that he will reign again on earth. And that leads us to the opportunity to celebrate today, because this is already the reality. He's already on the throne. And this leads us to worship and celebration with God's people and the voices in heaven. And so the next part of the text leads us into this imagery that, that, that expounds on what does God's reign look like on earth? When this day comes, when he establishes his throne and reign on earth, what is that going to look like and, and feel like? And, and, and why does he share this in the, in the language of wedding and marriage? And the reason is we have this hope that this relationship with our creator that is not one that is without love. God loves us. And so God's reign on the throne gives us confidence, but the wedding language gives us hope. 
because we are finally brought into union with our Creator. And so this idea of marriage is the most intimate relationship that we have to describe intimacy on this earth. And, and one day, when Jesus comes back, we will be united as his bride, the church, to our groom in an intimate way. And, and so to give a little background to Jewish wedding um, customs, there were three stages. The first stage is the bride price, establishing the bride price. So the groom comes, and he talks to the bride's parents, and he, he, they agree on a bride price. And after that, the bride and groom sign the marriage covenant, and they're married officially, but they don't yet live together. They both go into the second stage of the marriage process, which is the betrothal or the engagement period or the preparation period. And so the bride, she goes to her house and she begins preparing, and it's usually a year-long process. And, you know, she prepares um, her body and she prepare, probably grows her hair out and picks her bridesmaids, and she gets ready. She's excited to be married to her groom. And they, they go through this, the brides go through a process of cleansing, taking baths and oils and, and wonderful scents, and it's, it's a joyous process. In the groom, what he does is he goes back to his father's house and he builds a room in his father's house for him and his bride. And he spends this year preparing this room, building it, and building the, the wedding tent uh, where they're going to have the feast. And they, they prepare, you know, as the day gets closer, they prepare the feast and the food. And eventually, he goes back to the bride's house and he surprises her usually in the middle of the night because he wants it to be a surprise. And he whisks her away with her bridesmaids and takes her back to the wedding festival, the wedding ceremony, where they come together and they feast, and then they live happily ever after, living together as the official married couple following that ceremony. And does this sound familiar? Doesn't this sound a little bit familiar? In the text we read earlier today, Jesus said he's going to prepare a place for us. In his father's house are many rooms. Does this sound familiar? The bride price Jesus has established, which was his very life. In our Bible study on Thursday and going through Revelation, we talked about Jesus didn't pay a million dollars to purchase you as his bride. He didn't pay a billion dollars to purchase you as his bride. He didn't use all the money in the world. He used his very life to purchase you, which means that your value and your worth is as much as his life paid for you, which is infinite value, invaluable. That's how much he paid for you. And, and what kind of love is that? To pay everything. How much more is he willing to give us? What more could you ask for? He laid down his life to purchase you. And he says the bride price was infinite. And there's coming a day 
when he returns, where he will be reigning on the throne. And we will be united with our groom in celebration and joy face to face. And this gives us hope. And this gives us the opportunity now to worship and celebrate. Because the wedding ceremony is coming, but we're already engaged. And we will feast with him. Sometimes the, the Jewish wedding ceremonies would go on a week of feasting. And, and depending on the, the wealthiness of the family, it could go on for two weeks. Two weeks of feasting. And then the third stage, of course, is, is this picture in heaven where we will be united with our king and live with him forever. Do you know that God loves you today? We say that all the time in the church, right? God loves you. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God loves you in sacrificing his life? Or, or, or what kind of questions or, or feelings does that raise within you? Or does it not? Does it make you numb? God wanted to bring you back into his presence. Can you close your eyes for a minute? And I, I want you to picture the person who has loved you the most on this earth. And think of the qualities that they have for you. For me, it's my mom and dad. And, and I know that not everybody has had great experiences with parents or loved ones, but if you haven't had a loving experience with somebody, I want you to picture in your mind the ideal, what, what you would imagine love could feel like. For me, those experiences, my, my parents' love is expressed in their desire to be around me, their joy in celebrating and, and excitement for me. And when I share things with them, they're very caring and understanding and empathizing. And, and, and how much more, you can open your eyes now, would the God of the universe who created you and who created everything that exists, including your innermost workings, how much more would he love you than that person? Infinitely more, right? infinitely more and he shows that on the cross and in the resurrection and in this vision he gives us this hope and hope is difficult and the third thing that this vision gives us is confirmation the confirmation that this vision will come true that this isn't just well, this is a fantasy, and this would be the ideal, and if I could write the story, this is how it would end. No, this is the true words of God, as the angel reminds us in verse 10, or verse 9. And he added, these are the true words of God. This vision gives us hope beyond any hope we can have on this earth, because it's assured. This hope does not lead to a disappointment. 
And if you're in a place like I am today, hope is difficult. Hope can hurt because sometimes there is the risk of disappointment. Hoping that if I could just do this, or I could just do that, or if this person would just do this, or, or, or. But other hopes disappoint. But this one won't because it comes from Jesus himself. And he is faithful, and he is worthy of our worship, and he is worthy of our hope. Because he sealed it with his sacrifice and the sending of the Holy Spirit. And so my hope for you today, my encouragement for you, is to place your hope once again in this vision. In the coming of our Lord, who loves you and wants to live with you as a bride, What if you were to risk this hope one more time? What if you were to risk hoping one more time? This hope leads us to persevere in our most trying times. So, like I said, we face a lot of suffering and temptation today. John's people were facing suffering and temptation. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the, this is one of the last visions that John reminds his hearers he saw. I don't think it's a coincidence. And the reason is, in the midst of your suffering, John reminds us, hold on to the hope that's coming. Hold on to the person that is returning. Hold on to the lover of your soul. What would change in your life this week if you kept this hope in the forefront of your mind? That one day you will be united with Jesus face to face. That this invisible reality will become visible. We can remain assured of the hope that will come true when we are united with our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. We can worship God today like these loud voices in heaven, because of the hope that we have. We can remain faithful today because of the love we have been shown. And we can remain assured of the hope that we will be united with our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you may be asking, well, Jordan, how do I do this? How do I worship God in the midst of a pandemic when I can't even go to church? How do I remain faithful to this God when it seems like his coming is so far away? How do I keep my hope in this vision? How do I keep my hope in, in being united to Jesus, with Jesus one day? And my encouragement to you is to posture yourself like the voices in this vision to remain in a posture of worship and faithfulness. Be in communion with other believers. Continue coming to church online. Fuel your hope. Remember what the Lord has done. Be in prayer. Join the things that are happening on Zoom with the church. Connect with other believers. Sing worship songs in your car. Pray for five minutes in your car. 
before going into work. Or phone a friend. Call a friend and pray with them for five minutes. Or when you first wake up in the morning and you check your phone, what if the first app you opened was the Bible app and you read scripture reminding you of this great hope that we have? There are very practical ways we can worship God this week other than just on Sunday morning. And the second thing is we celebrate and we remain worshiping God with these voices in heaven now, but we also remain faithful to our groom. In verse 10, the angel says, I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. This means those who remain faithful to Jesus, not to Caesar, not to the idols, not to the fake hopes of this world. We remain faithful to Jesus Christ alone out of love, not out of obligation, because he loves us in our natural response to this great love that he has given us and shown us. Wouldn't our natural response be worship and faithfulness in return? Wouldn't it be? So we have this great hope that he is coming again one day and we will be united with him. God has laid down everything for you and he wants to continue giving you everything good, including himself, including this great feast that's coming. And so I'd like to finish with this picture in your mind of a young bride who just got engaged and her wedding is six months down the road. And you go up to her and you ask her, are you excited for your wedding? What's her response going to be? No, not really. It's six months away. <laughs> is that the response? No. If she's in love with her fiance, it's, oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait. I wish it weren't six months away, but I need that long to get prepared. You know? And so we are the fiancé of Christ. We are the bride of Christ and men. This doesn't mean that you're becoming a woman. So rest assured, it's okay. But, but this is the analogy we have. He is our groom and our husband, and we have signed the marriage covenant when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. He is coming back to whisk us away as his bride because he loves us. And like this young bride, we celebrate the coming wedding because we're already in love and engaged to this groom. And like this young bride, she's not going to say, well, the wedding's six months away, so I guess I'm just going to date another guy until, he come, until the wedding day. No, we, we remain faithful to, to our love. Faithfulness is the natural response to this great love that we have been shown, and it's not a love that we try to foster. It's a love out of response to the love that we've been given. We love because he first loved us. And so this week, my encouragement is for you to walk in a posture of worship and faithfulness. Pray in your car. Sing worship songs to Jesus. Remind yourself that this is the reality, not just a story. Babylon will fall. The victory is already decided. 
and we will be united with Jesus face to face as a bride is united with her groom. And we will live with him forever afterwards. If you have not yet accepted Jesus as your Savior, I would invite you to do so today. Not out of obligation, but out of this response to the love that you have been shown. If you have questions about what it looks like to become a follower of Jesus, reach out to us. There's contact information in the bulletin. And if you have accepted Jesus, but you have maybe been struggling during this pandemic with worship and faithfulness to him, reach out to a friend, reach out to a fellow believer, reach out to your leaders. And I would encourage you to join discipleship. Find somebody to disciple you. Even if you've been a believer 50 years, find somebody to disciple you and disciple somebody else. Because this hope is too great of a hope not to share with others. Because it doesn't lead to disappointment. It will happen. And so this week, we go from this place in a posture of worship and faithfulness and celebration because we are the bride of the Lamb who paid it all and who is the lover of your soul. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for the great love that you have shown us in your son's sacrifice on the cross, in his resurrection, in the giving of your Holy Spirit, which reminds us and seals us of all of your promises. Help us to walk in a posture and attitude of worship, celebration, and faithfulness this week as we remain faithful to you as your people. Foster in us love for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.